I'm going to switch gears, and I'd like to introduce our speaker today. A couple months ago, uh, Debbie Ruminski and Peter and I were headed for Togo, West Africa, and Debbie suddenly yells out, hey, isn't that Pastor Jim? And I look over, and I see this guy striding, almost running, through the airport. And I said, yeah, it looks like it. So I went off and took off after him. I was like a cockle burr on his side. And I looked over at him, and I said, are you Jim Collins? And he barely gave me a glance. He said, well, Jim College. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right, Jim College. But anyway, so he was, I mean, he was dead set. He was on his way to the gate. I couldn't miss a step. His legs are longer than mine. But I'm keeping up with him. And I learned a lot in about a minute and a half that we walked through the airport together. This man's involved in a bunch of amazing stuff. And one of the amazing things that he did, in my mind, was he came here and he gave of his time and he helped encourage us during a time of transition. And he continues to do that, continues to work with our board, continues to encourage us. He works in all different types of men's ministries and things like that. And I've been very, very encouraged by him. And you're going to be very encouraged by his message this morning. So Jim College, would you please come visit us this morning? Thank you. Thanks, Bob. Oh, that's kind. Thanks. Um, yeah, when I saw Bob in the airport, I was on my way to a uh, board meeting for Church Ministries International, which meets in Dallas. And I've sat on that board for a number of years. It's focused on reaching the large cities in Latin America. And uh, there's some amazing things going on in Latin America. Um, airports are weird. I don't like them. In fact, I don't like flying. I don't know about you. It's... Uh, I mean, you just get in this metal tube, and for a guy my size, uh, I was, fl- <laughs> was flying for some reason. I got on a, usually you have these small commuter jets that fly out of Cleveland to a hub, and then you get on another one. Well, this happened to be a larger plane with um, uh, three seats in each row on either side of the aisle. And... Uh, I fly quite a bit, and, and I have a preference, an aisle seat, but for some reason, nothing was open, so I had a center seat. You all like those, don't you? And all I can think of the whole time I'm sitting there going, because when I sat down, there was no one on either side, and I'm going, please let it be small people, <laughs> not another one of me. And... I, I can see this guy turn the corner, and he's about my size, a little broader. And I'm thinking, he's going to sit here. <laughs> and I'm praying selfishly, Lord, do a miracle. You know, sure enough, he's got the window seat, so he gets in. We still have this open open seat, and I'm thinking, okay, I've I've lived clean. I haven't. I, I've got all my sin is confessed. Uh, and I see this little tiny woman coming. I'm going, oh, yeah. She, I fail to look just a little bit further to see another guy a little bit bigger than the guy to my right. And sure enough, he's right there. And both of them decided that they owned the armrest. So, so I fly from Cleveland to Charlotte where my connection to go to Dallas and I'm sitting there the whole time like this and I'm thinking okay surely God will give me grace on the way to Dallas 
And he did not. <laughs> and I still, I still love him. <laughs> so, all right. That's my stories for today. I could tell you some about Steve butt-dialing me from the beach, wherever he is. I'm, I said that in the first service. I think I'm allowed to say that. It was, it was hilarious, but that would take up too much time. Would you pray with me, please? Father, as we open your book now, I pray that you will speak, that you will challenge us as to how we live, how we speak, how we engage in our world. God, I pray that you'll use me however you see fit, but let us hear from you. And I pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Not too long ago, um, our president signed an executive order, one of many, which was to grant religious freedom, uh, a greater freedom in our country. And uh, as I listened to all that it entailed, it really didn't expand too much of anything. I mean, it, it was always there, and the whole idea that there is to be this separation of church and state is, is uh, an erroneous, con at least the way it's proclaimed today. If you read the Federalist Papers or the Constitution itself, you'll find that, that the way it's promoted today is an error. And some of you say, well, Jim, why don't you just stay with the text and forget about the government? In fact, why don't you mind your own business? Well... That is my business. It's, it's yours as well. I, I called this sermon, Mind Your Own Business, because I think as we look at what our business is as Christians, it's a lot more than we think it is. It's not to be relegated to some uh, corner of our culture that happens to meet in a, a building like this. And this is where we are to mind our own business, in here or maybe in a Bible study or, or, or in a, a growth group or some other limited arena. I don't think the Bible tells us that. And I think we fail to fulfill our God-given responsibility in our world, no matter where we are. Uh, to carry out what it means to, for the church and for individual believers in Jesus Christ to mind their own business. Let me read just two passages for you, or two verses from 1 Peter, and then we'll get into a couple of other texts. But if you take your Bibles or the device that you have that you have your Bible on, if you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, Beginning in verse 11, it says this, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against the soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Now, obviously, to plop yourself in the very middle of a, uh, of a Bible passage can, is wrought with all kind of, of, well, challenges. Because if we're not careful, we begin to take that and we begin to massage it into something that we want to say. But here's what I want you to, to fix your eyes on. In verse 11, when it's, or verse 12, when it says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable. If the Christian is to be relegated to some, some corner of a particular culture, 
then it seems like what Peter is saying here, in light of what he said in, chap- in the beginning of chapter 2, quite frankly, in the beginning of his letter, differs. Because this is written to Christians that many believe were meeting in Rome, and so Peter writes to them in somewhat cryptic language as you go through this letter and the second letter, but he's writing to them and he's saying, be engaged in your world. Be engaged in the society in which you love, live. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, assuming that implies that they are living among. Someone stated it this way, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are sojourners here, which means we are engaged in all that goes on in our culture, and we are to influence our culture. Now, what I want to try and do this morning is I want to look at at three different passages and see what the Bible has to say about our business in the world, what we're to be involved in. So we're going to look first at Romans chapter 13. So you can turn there. And beginning in verse 1 of chapter 13, it says this. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore... Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to, do, to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain." For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on, wrong, on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed. Taxes to whom taxes are owed. Revenue to whom revenue is owed. Respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Paul is writing. Now, here's the danger this morning, is that when I talk about minding our own business, and when I talk about particularly this first idea of reacting to our culture with respect, that you'll get an idea that in fact, I was reminded of this between services. Someone asked me a question. It was a great question. And you'll see a little bit why that came a little later when I mention a particular church. But he's saying, well, okay, you're saying I'm, I'm to respect, but what if I go, if I, if I have to go against it, or what the government says or what those in authority say? And I quickly referred him to Acts chapter 5, and I'll touch on it today, but I won't read it because we just don't have time. But Acts chapter 5, you'll remember that, that account of, the, of Peter and John are called before the, the leaders of Israel, and they are told they cannot speak in the name of Jesus, and they wound up being beaten because they asked the question, 
shall we obey God rather than, or shall we obey men rather than God? And they know what their convictions are. They know they must obey a God and they honor or respect the authority. They don't say what's about to happen to them is somehow unjust. In, although in the eternal state, yes, it is. But, but what they're saying is we count it an honor to suffer for his sake. They recognize the authority or the position and they understand the consequences of that. So I, I hope that kind of, uh, I hope that gives you a context in which you can look at this and understand what I'm trying to communicate this morning from God's Word. So back to Romans chapter 13. This first posture or characteristic that we have to have as believers in a culture that we engage in is to, to be one of respect. We are to be, have this respectful posture when we, we enter into this engagement. First of all, by acknowledging authority's position. You see, that's what, what Paul is dealing with here. Understand that. Recognize authority's position. Acknowledge authority's purpose because they're there for the right reasons. They've been placed there for a particular reason, for both to carry out good as well as to punish. But sometimes that gets perverted, doesn't it? But does that change their purpose in carrying out the will of God? Of course not. Assyria was not the most godly uh, culture in the world back in ancient history. And yet God used them to pull Israel back to himself. Do you know what the largest, the, uh, I'm sorry, not the largest, but the, the fastest growing church in the world is? You know where it's located? The fastest growing church in the world is located in Iran. There are more people coming to faith in Jesus Christ and being baptized at a rate that's faster than anywhere else in the world. Now, here's what's going on in Iran. Is Christians are being persecuted. They're being, they're being beaten. They're being imprisoned. And some are losing their life. The government is operating in a way that is in complete contradiction to the principles of the Word of God. And yet the believers in Iran respect their government. They understand it. They understand the position. And they are willing to lose their lives for the sake of the gospel because they understand. Now, keep in mind, don't, don't equate respect with agreement. Okay? You, you got to track with me on this or otherwise you'll go out here going, that guy is a nutcase. And I am, but not when I'm handling this book. We are to respect those in authority over us. We are, we are to understand their, the position that they hold, which is, therefore, we are to subject ourselves. We are to rank ourselves under. We are to understand the laws of our land, and we are to place ourselves under. We are subject to those laws. And if we cannot obey those laws because of 
who we follow as Savior, then we must understand that there will be consequences as we have to reject those laws in order to fulfill our calling. Again, it's not that, it's not that we are approving of something that is contrary to the Word of God, but we are respecting the authority that's been placed there. I'll give you an example. Back in the, the, uh, during the campaign uh, for president of the 37,000 Republican candidates, one of them, Ben Carson, was interviewed after he had dropped out of the race. And uh, he, he was asked a question about um, who would be, who he thought would be the next president. And he didn't answer with a specific, you know what he said? You remember? He said, America will get what it deserves. Isn't that a great statement? America will get what it deserves. Now, regardless of where you fall politically, God can superintend and move people into position in order to bring about repentance, in order to bring about, uh, uh, bring about an attitude of godliness, because he does it. If you read the, the scriptures, you see it constantly. In the book of Jeremiah, it's as if God, through the prophet, is pleading with Israel to come back into the relationship that he longs for them, and yet he allows Assyria and eventually Babylon to take them into exile. Why? Because he's trying to draw them back, and he does step by step everything that he needs to do. So our posture, when we, when we are part of a culture, we respect those in authority, and we allow that to be used in our lives to see what God may be doing or may be calling us to. Second thing, go with me to the book of Nehemiah. This puts a little bit of the weight on us. In the book of Nehemiah, God is giving us a story about this near post-exile period of time. Nehemiah is the, the cupbearer for Artaxerxes. And Artaxerxes is, um, is in complete control of that, that Middle Eastern region. And for some reason, we find out a little bit later in chapter 2 of Nehemiah, is that Nehemiah is sad. Now, if you're the cupbearer before the king of, of Assyria, you are not in any way to show sadness. You just don't, you're supposed to be happy all the time. But Nehemiah, for some reason on this particular day, shows himself, shows his face to be sad, and the king speaks to him. It says, in the, in the month of uh, Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad? Seeing that you are not sick, there is nothing, there is nothing but sadness of heart. 
And then he says, Nehemiah says, then I was much afraid. He was afraid because he wasn't supposed to be sad in front of the king. But in his transparency, the king asks him a question. And the opportunity to present, it presents himself for Nehemiah to be proactive. That's the second posture, that we are to be proactive. We are to be respectful of those in authority, and we are to be proactive in our desire to move a culture or move ourselves into alignment with what God desires. Nehemiah shows his transparency. The king asks him the question. And even though he fears the resulting opposition, he voices what he wants to do. He takes the risk. Look at what it says in verse 4. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in your sight, that that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. In his proactivity, he takes a big risk. He risks by seeking for agreement from the king, at least to let him go. He, he asks him to trust him. And he asks him to support, it, support him as he goes. Sometimes you're in a position or someone in authority, or someone in, in, within the, uh, a sphere of influence will ask you a question. What do you want? What do you need? What would you like? And when that opportunity opens the door, what will you do with it? How will you use it? How will you, how will you harness that particular, that particular open door so that the gospel, a, if you will, a, a cultural worldview can be, can be initiated. That's exactly what Nehemiah did. He goes before a pagan king. He senses this, this desire. He is asked a question. He goes, king, this is what I want. This is what I need. In fact, he gets even more specific when, when he's, he does this. He says in verses 7 through 9, he asks, I need a letter that you will give me so that I'll have safe passage. So I need legal protection. He, he asks him, will you give me a letter to Asaph, the guy who's in charge of the, the king's forest, so I can, so I can get the, the timber I need to rebuild Jerusalem. And then he even says, oh, and by the way, will you send some soldiers with me? Will you give me an escort? Now, chances are um, you're not going to have to go back to your hometown to rebuild it. But when the opportunity presents itself for the gospel to be in the forefront, can you take those kind of risks? You see, if you're minding your own business in our culture, then you'll do that very thing because that is your business. Your business is to do your best in the sphere of your influence to change a culture that is going in a direction that will lead to destruction to change it to lead it 
in a direction that will result in life. Jeremiah has to evaluate the task once he gets to the city. And sometimes you, God gives you a call on your life to go in a particular direction. And when you get there, all of a sudden you think, uh, I didn't know I was getting into all this. So what do you do? What Jeremiah did was he, he discovered, is there, is there any opposition to what I'm doing? Because then I have to count the costs there. Look at, in verse 10 it says, but when Senbalat the Horonite and, the, and Tobiah the Ammonite's servant heard this, it displeased them greatly that someone had come to, to reset the walls. So what he's saying is, uh, there's going to be some trouble. Then he, then he figures out, what's the task ahead of me? It says, tells us this in verse 15, then he went by night around the city to examine the walls to see what needed to be done. So he figures out what's before him. And then I think it's implied, is he willing? Is he willing to invest himself in order to accomplish what God has called him to do in, if you will, minding his own business. In verse 12, and then in verse 16, it says, I told no one what my God had put on my heart to do for Jerusalem. And the officials, verse 16, and the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who, who were there or, or who were to do the work. What he's saying is, I need to figure out, am I willing to invest myself in this? Am I willing to pay the price? You're going to be asked the same kind of thing. When God calls you to something, you need to be, you need to investigate, am I willing to do what God has called me to do? Am I willing to mind my own business to help shape a culture? Lastly, in Daniel, there's a tremendous narrative, which most of you know well. In Daniel in chapter 1, Daniel is and his three friends come into the presence of, of King Nebuchadnezzar, and um, they're placed under the protection of a court official. The, the Bible I have, it's an English standard version, refers to this court official in chapter 1 as chief eunuch. And he is placed there to... Um, to watch over the diet and the education of these young Hebrew slaves that have been brought into exile. They choose the best among them. And what, what Daniel and his friends do is they take a deliberate posture. That's the third thing. You have to decide. You have to say to yourself, I am going to do this, and I'm going to do this because this is my conviction. Look at verse, um, verse 6 of Daniel chapter 1. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. 
And then in verse 8, it says this, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself, and God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief eunuchs. And the chief eunuch said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are uh, of your own age? So, he, so you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servant for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. It goes on to say that after those 10 days, they looked better than the rest. Now, what's the point? It's simply a story about diet, right? It's more than that. It's a story about conviction. It's a story about willing to live out what I say I believe. Daniel understood something true about who he was and what he held on to tightly. It wasn't just diet. It wasn't simply that. It was much more than diet. It had to do with his convictions about his relationship with God because for a Jew, that diet had everything to say about what I believed. Now, you and I, as Christians in the 21st century, are not, we don't have to worry about what we're eating. Well, maybe I should watch what I'm eating, but our diet doesn't necessarily connect us to God, but there are convictions that we hold, and we hold them tightly, and so we operate out of those convictions deliberately. You see, for you and I, if we're going to mind our own business, whether it's, whether it's in the social realm, whether it's in the political realm, whether it's in the economic realm, you name it, we must, we must live out our convictions deliberately, proactively, and with respect. I think what, what you and I do is we bring to the table certain benefits, certain worldviews that shape the very culture in which we live. But we can't isolate ourselves to a particular little spot that the world says, here, you stay here. You talk about God here. You talk about that book you call the Bible over here but don't bring it into our world. Oh, no. No, God has placed you here in this particular place in Northeastern Ohio to influence your culture, to influence your school, to influence your business, but to do it with respect, to do it proactively, and to do it deliberately based upon your convictions about who Jesus Christ is and what he has done in your life, and what he can do in your world. Are you minding your own business? Are you? It's time to. Pray with me. Father, thank you for your, for your word. Thank you for its truth. Thank you that as we look out on our landscape, whether it's social 
or political or economic or spiritual. God, I pray that you will take our lives and cause us to see your calling, a calling that is to be respectful, a calling that is to be proactive, a calling that is based upon deliberate convictions. God, may we be agents of change in a world that is rapidly disintegrating. Call us to righteousness. Call us to holiness. And call us to make an impact in our world for the sake of our Savior and our Lord, Jesus, in whose name we pray. I hope today when you leave here, you'll think more deeply about this great responsibility that you and I have to make a difference in our world, not just inside the church, but outside as well. Would you stand with me for a benediction? And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus, the love of God, the constant fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide upon each of you until we shall meet again or until our Savior comes and then forever. Amen. Have a great day in Christ.